He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, he's outspoken. You will tell your kids, and your grandkids, and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise, and he was the greatest world heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas, and you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. Triple Threat Podcast being brought to you today and powered by our good friends over at Figures Toy Company on the two-man power trip of wrestling podcasting empire. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad. And as always, I'm joined on the two-man power trip by my partner, the one and only JP John Paz. And usually on this show, as it is his show, we are welcoming in our partner, the franchise Shane Douglas. But again, just like last week, he's somewhere between the United States and Australia. So what did we do today? We went out and we found another guest co-host, and it's our pleasure to welcome in for this great episode of the Triple Threat Podcast, the one and only Mikey Whipwreck. Mikey, welcome to the Triple Threat Podcast again. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Oh my gosh, Mikey, we're great. We're franchise-less for two weeks straight, but we're working our way, hopefully, back to getting Shane uh, on U.S. soil but uh, filling in for the franchise, it's almost like the uh, the card subject to change uh, here on a Triple Threat podcast. Yes, and how, how can we put this? Either either I'm uh, booked myself into the main event, or this lineup is taking a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I'm going to say it's going to fall right in the middle there. It's going to uh, it's going to be in between somewhere between shit and the main event, but. Look, we are so happy to have you on. It's uh, it's always cool to get you, especially uh, we've done a couple cool things with you in the last year. And, uh, you know, the ties that you have to Shane in terms of some of the matches you had and the relationship, I think it's uh, you're the perfect co-host for this week and uh, appreciate you taking some time. Well, if it's going to be shit, it's going to be good shit. <laughs> That's the only kind of shit we like on the show. We like good shit. And like I said off the top, we've got a great relationship with Figures Toy Company. And Figures Toy Company is revolutionizing the way that professional wrestling action figures are made. With the rising stars of professional wrestling and the legends of professional wrestling, you've got over 30 superstars to choose from, including the franchise Shane Douglas, the soon-to-be Francine figure tying into last week's show. And of course, if you want one, well, hey, we got two. The Mikey Whipwreck action figure brought to you by Figures Toy Company. Mikey how is it having you immortalized in this figure's toy line, the legends of professional wrestling? Oh, it's crazy. You know, I still think it's just me. You know what I mean? A kid from, from Long Island, New York, 
who five foot nine, you know, hundred and something nothing pounds at the time, and, and to look twenty twenty five years later that that they have an action figure of me, and I am as you said immortalized. Uh, it's mind blowing, still to this day, and they nailed it. I mean, they that shirt they have on me in that action figure. I mean, it's 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 as close as you can get without the real thing. Well, Chris D, who uh, does all the, uh, the 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 licensing for the wrestling line, he's a huge ECW fan. So it's uh, it's very very it's very cool to see how he brought his fandom forward and went out and got you and he got Blue Meanie and he got Shane and he got New Jack and he got Jerry Lynn. So you kind of see the ECW ties to the line itself. But oh my God, they hit it out of the park with you with the shirt and the detail. It's uh, it takes you right back in there to ninety four ninety five and you get uh, that Mikey Whipwreck action figure scoring some wins over some of those uh, superstars. That's right. The only thing I don't like is I'm too jacked. <laughs> well it's funny you mentioned that we might be talking about that a little bit uh later on in the uh in the show but hey it's still cool to have i mean it's a great uh it's a great action figure awesome. line and yeah it's so they, cool they do a great job man really really if if you want to go to the website check them out and buy them i, I they're all great you know and they have kiss action figures too which are really cool <laughs> they got kiss here's the lineup that i always like to, to promote they got kiss they got the Three Stooges, they got the Monkeys, and they got the Wrestlers. So there you go. There's some uh, great company. So, so they have Batman, too. Yeah, but... Like the Adam West Batman? They got Batman, yeah, but it's not the Monkeys. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I, I, what can I say? <laughs> I'm a Three Stooges mark myself, so... Well, they got a great Three Stooges line. And again, you know, that's how about some fantasy warfare there? You could have... Uh, you know, Mikey and Shane take on uh, Larry and Mo with uh, Curly on the outside. You know, you can kind of get creative if you wanted to. They better hurry up with that Francine figure. You <laughs> need a manager. <laughs> but again, that's cool. You know, he's going out and he's getting guys, like, excuse me, ladies like Francine and, and bringing somebody who's never had an action figure in like Francine. And obviously, did you have one with ECW or did you just miss those? Nah, I missed them. Ah. I wasn't over enough. <laughs> oh, come on. Stop. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I missed it. Uh, I think I was going to be in the in the next round, but that never came to pass. <laughs> there was a couple dreamers. There was a couple Taz. Uh, I don't know if that was uh, if that was planned or what, but they kind of took up uh, some space in the uh, the character development side of things. Yeah, what are you gonna do? <laughs> probably, probably wouldn't have got paid for it anyway. <laughs> so, Mikey, what's going on with you, man? We see on on Twitter you're very active on Twitter. You're kind of back in the uh, the social media ranks here, and now you're a part of the Underdog School. Kind of give us a background about it. How did you get involved with it? And we know you've got a really rich history training uh, a lot of the incoming superstars uh, of now the present time, as well as I guess the future here. But how'd you get back in the fold with the Underdogs uh, training camp? Oh, I've been thinking about it for a while, you know, since I'm MPA here now and uh, doing NYWC, it's, it, it became too much. You know, I don't like traveling. It's just with, with some issues I'm, I'm dealing with, just, you know, four hour car rides and things like that and trying to drive just doesn't doesn't mesh very well, you know. So I'm tossing the idea around and getting back into training guys. And my wife's like, you should just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. I'm like, yeah, I know, but. I got to buy a ring. I got to get the building. I got a, a lot of legwork, you know, behind the scenes to get the thing going. You know what I mean? So I'm like, ah. So I put it on Twitter to see what kind of tease it a little bit. Say, oh, I'm thinking about it. And if I get any nibbles, you know, and I had a really good response from people saying, oh, yeah, do it, do it, do it, do it. And then I had a couple of promotions um, reach out to me. 
six or seven of them that said, hey, would you, you know, train at our school? I'm like, ah, you know, so then it was like Tony at, at PPW, uh, he reached out to me and they're kind of close to my house, you know, so it just seemed like a, a good fit. He's a good guy. Uh, he runs at PPW. They're having their, I think their fifth, fifth year anniversary uh, this weekend coming up. So it, it just seemed like a good fit. So I met him, checked out the building they were looking to use for the school and uh, said, yeah, let's, let's go for it. No, that's great. And you guys got a big grand opening coming September 17th. So uh, that's really cool that you've gone this far with it. And uh, I did see when you put that tweet out there and you were kind of, you know, dipping your toe in the water and uh, kind of gauging the interest. And it brings out a lot of people when you do throw something out there. But obviously uh, it worked out perfectly with PPW being in Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, if somebody's willing to work with you, obviously that's half the battle. But what have you seen so far with uh, kind of getting back in the fold? A uh, little bit different. Uh, I'm a little bit more of an old school approach. I know that might be shocking, kind of the way, the way I was brought up in the business. But uh, I, I was a little nervous at first about, you know, you kind of hear all the the stories and the rumors about how the next generation of kids now, they're very soft and they're very, uh, you know, wishy-washy, <laughs> you know. But from what I see with the kids I have, I mean, you know, they're willing to work hard. You know they don't they don't talk back they don't they don't whine and cry about things if they don't get things their way, so it's been uh, real good you know they're very you know respectful and things like that so it's great. So what do you think uh, we can expect with the grand opening? Is that like uh, you know uh, typical grand opening with balloons and uh, you know raffles and uh, come down with your uh, your best sneaks and your uh, your shorts and we'll get you in the ring? Like what are you guys looking at doing with the grand opening? Well, I do tricks with I make balloon animals. <laughs> uh, I do them. I, no, it's just going to be, you know, just come down, check the place out, uh, see how things are going, see if you're interested in, w- in what might be happening in the ring. And, uh, you know, if you want to join up, talk to us. Uh, you know, we'll see if we work something out with you. Not, nothing super, super crazy. No, I mean, it's a little subdued. Yeah. And, you know, and, and obviously from when you were training guys before, you know, a couple of years has passed and you've seen some of your, uh, your trainees go on there to great success. Do you think when people see your name attached to it that they think like, all right, I'm going to be the next, you know, Zack Ryder, or I'm going to be the next uh, breakout star. You're, I'm going to catch your eye. You're going to work with me specifically. Do you see guys that come in there with kind of the stars in their eyes and thinking the uh, the grandest when they get through the uh, door? A little bit. You kind of you got to get the look, you know, <laughs> the holy shit look, you know. Which again, for me, I'm like, I'm just me, man. Like, I try to be very down to earth, very approachable, you know. You know, just to, it's not like it used to be back in the day where you beat the guys up, you know, you break their leg or whatever and see if they come back. No, it's, you, you treat them with respect. You, you show them what the respect in the business is. And then you go from there. So I don't, I don't play that star thing. I don't play that card at all. No, I don't think uh, anybody really would see that with you because, you know, you're really transparent. When you meet you, I mean, you're like one of the nicest guys ever. I'm just going to put you over <laughs> like a million bucks right now. You, you're one of the nicest guys ever. And I think that, you know, I, I, I would love to see in the training perspective how your approach is because you did learn in the old school and, you know, you know what it's like to have the, the, the incoming generation, you know, at your yeah. fingertips here. So I would like kind of be curious to see how a class of yours would go because I would love to see if people, you know, if they're timid to take advantage of you because you're nice, you know, your knowledge, I mean, you know, or if they're going to be aggressive and, and want you to go all in on it because it's, uh, you know, you're one of those guys that has connection to a lot of people that I think some of these guys coming in might not have even ever seen wrestle. 
Yeah, it, it, some of the kids that come in, if they're brand new, they're very easy to work with, and you know they they pretty much have a good attitude. The, the, where I run into problems with and struggle is the guys that have been trained already. When when they come in, a lot of them don't want to come down because they think I'm going to just completely rip them apart, and yeah, yeah, and they don't want to look stupid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which which for me, it kind of it kind of it, it kind of makes me crazy, but because I'm like. Uh, like, I'm not an asshole. You know, I'm not going to say to you that you suck just to be a, a fucking rude asshole. You know what I mean? If, if I see something and I want to critique you, it's only to help. You know? So, why people would be gun-shy about coming down just because I'm there, I, I kind of don't get it. Yeah, no, that's a good but point. I hear that all the time. <laughs> you know, but let me uh, let me ask John a question here. Because John, you know, being the uh, the pro wrestling aficionado that he is, Actually went down to the Wrestle Factory about two years ago and uh, took one of their training classes and kind of got the experience to see what it's like to take the bump and uh, you know really go all in. But John, now if you were going to be researching your schools and you see Mikey Whipwreck's name attached to it, how would that kind of play into your decision making process on where you were going to end up? Oh, I would definitely want to head down there and see what Mikey thought and maybe uh, take some bumps and uh, do some wrestling with Mikey I mean Mikey you were one of those guys almost it's just surreal like you wouldn't think that you know like you would been world champion kind of thing and then it's like man this guy is so good he just has good matches with everybody and then you're like not shocked by it, but it's like man this guy is such a, a ring general but you know you said your training kind of was kind of self-taught almost yeah I kind of I kind of learned just by, by watching on TV, you know what I mean? And I kind of had an idea what was going on. And then uh, Sonny Blaze opened up a wrestling school, and he taught us working the left. Always work the left. He said, oh, okay, I'm not going to help us put it together. And then once I started in ECW, I kind of had that part down, but I was all over the place. Like, my, my feet were a, were a mess. So like, I was I, – I look back now and I go, oh, God, that was terrible, you know? But then as I learned – you know, started working with Taz and Perry uh, up in ECW school. Uh, you know, they fixed my feet and things like that. And after that, it just started to click. Now, Shane always says, and I don't know if you knew this at the time, but he always says that when they wanted somebody to look good or they wanted to have somebody that keep fresh in ECW, they got to have a good match, they'd usually kind of pair them up with you. Did you know that at all, or, or is that something that you were aware of and you knew the pressure was on because, you know, you got to make certain guys look good and you have to have good matches consistently? Uh, I heard the rumors of that. <laughs> Nobody ever actually came out and told me. <laughs> but but yeah, I like having good matches with anybody. So it wasn't like there was pressure. I mean, nobody ever put pressure on me to have a good match. It was, I just wanted to have a good match, you know. And even later on when I came back, Paul Heyman, he told me, he goes, you are a hell of a utility guy. I'm going, is that good or is that bad? He goes, no, that's good. He goes, you're, you're a utility guy that we can we can give a push to if you want to, but he goes, you could be there for everybody else at the same time. So he goes, those people can always get a job. It's a great spot to be in, uh, for sure. And that's pretty high praise from Paulie Heyman, for sure. Yeah, again, being, you know, being younger and not really understanding everything, it kind of almost went over my head. But looking back now, I really, I really appreciate it. And, you know, hey guys, I say it all the time. They go, "Who do you want to work?" It was either Dreamer, Sabu, or me. You know, to have good matches with. So, 
I'll take it. And funny thing is, is I don't think we're going to be seeing any more Dreamers or Sabus or Tazes uh, even after this class is trained or the first class or the second class or the third class. But when you kind of got back into the social media world here and you saw the new wrestling world, what do you think of this new wrestling world here, Mikey? Is it different? You know, do you see uh, the – what do you think about it? I mean, it's always – it's cool to see somebody like Shane be so interactive on Twitter and, you know, kind of sets things straight, talk about stuff. But, you know, I feel like it's just a completely different world, even from a few years ago. But what do you think about it? It's fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy. Joey Ryan, the whole, the whole thing with the with the penis thing. <laughs> Ryan, like, I, I could just see Shane watching this and be like – and I could just – I could just – I could – I know what he says. I could, I, I could just hear it. You know what I mean? Just completely going off, like, what the fuck? You know? <laughs> but then I start to watch it. I'm going, huh, I get it. I get it. Because it seems to be, either you have to go really serious and crazy with your high spots, right? Or you got to go in the complete opposite direction and go completely out of left field. And it's almost like as, as bizarre and wacky as you can get, the better it's going to be. Yeah, and we're going to talk about All In here in a minute, but it's kind of like uh, tying into it. We won't get fully into it just yet, but, you know, I, I like to talk about on this show, you know, I, I'm a Vince Russo fan. It's uh, a, a newly discovered uh, thing of mine over the last six months, but with the penises on the All In show, if a guy like Vince Russo wrote that 10 years ago, he'd be getting crucified, but now it's like a chic in funny thing to have penises carry uh, a guy out like the Druids carried out The Undertaker and I just kind of scratch my head and, uh, and laugh about that because it's like something that 10 years ago would have been crucified. He was ahead of his time. <laughs> <laughs> head being the key word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Richard Head. <laughs> but, like, what, but what do you think about that? You think that's got a place now? You think that – is this the fan base that's demanding this kind of stuff? Is it – People want to see the haha. They want to see the laughing, or they, they but they also want to see the the the, the long matches and the uh, you know the still the high spots and this and that. But they want to now have the, the you know the kind of the funny you know yuck yucks in the middle of a serious show. It, it certainly seems that way, doesn't it? it? They want to have a good time. The kids today they want to have a good fucking time. So if it's going to be going to go out there and you're going to have your 25 minute match with crazy acrobatics and crazy high spots. That's what they're going to like. If you're going to turn the opposite different direction and you're going to give them, you know, blow up penises, you know, and, and they're going to get into it that way. Well, that's fine, too. They, they, they get the hardcore stuff, too. They get some of that. They get the girls. They get it's just something for everything. It's all in thing. You know, they do they do 10,000 plus people in this building. You know what I mean, and that's just people that were there, not mentioning everybody watching online and everything else. Yeah, the numbers that have been released have been impressive, uh, without a doubt. I mean, we were all impressed anyway when the building sold out. But, you know, what I kind of gave you guys in the, the rundown sheet here is is the comparisons that have been thrown out about all into ECW and the us versus them mentality. And obviously the Bullet Club was already way over with the wrestling fan base for the last three, four years as uh, as an entity to begin with. But now it's taken to another level. But do you see the parallels of ECW and this all-in crew? Uh to a point, ECW 2018. <laughs> Basically, it's the, it's the, it's, it's the, where I see the parallels, it's the same guys that WWE and other big organizations said, nah, they're not good enough. No, they're not stars enough. They're not going to draw. They're just undercard guys and we'll, we'll use them maybe. 
You know what I mean? Along with the guys who have not yet reached that point where they're just up and coming, which is what ECW did. Took all the WWE and WCW rejects, so to speak, <laughs> and put them in ECW with a lot of the younger talent that nobody ever saw before. And it took off. And this is similar to that. The way with like Cody and the Bucks and them. They said, ah, you're good, but you're not really main event material. And look what they did. 10,000 people in 30 minutes. Who doesn't, who doesn't have their eye on the ball this one? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, from the second that the, uh, you know, the, the announcement of the sold out was kind of thrown out there, it really, I think it turned everybody's attention uh, towards the event because if you had to get to Chicago some way, I mean, obviously hardcore fans were there and just as impressive as All In was StarCast, which I know you were scheduled to be a part of, but you didn't end up uh, making it out to StarCast. But Shane was also in the same boat. He was scheduled to be there and he wasn't able to attend uh, right. Starcast, but I threw the parallel out there when we were talking to Francine about it last week. That you know, ECW also did pair the conventions with the events, and we think of Cyber Slam. You know, they were internet yeah. events before they were internet events. So I see the ECW parallels, but again, I guess it has to do more with how the shows operated than just maybe some of the uh, the outside factors that could be looked at being similar. It's it's an alternative. WWE has the market; they are the top game in town. You know what I mean? So you have all in what these guys are doing. It's an alternative to what WWE is producing. And obviously people are digging it. So they got, they're doing something right. So they, I would keep going if I was them. I don't know what their plan is, but I would think they're going to keep going with something. Now, did you get to watch the show at all? Uh, some of it. Yeah, what would you think? I thought it was good. I, I, I thought it was really good. I thought the girls had a great, that three-way was really, really good. Uh, what was the guy who worked with Christopher Daniels? Oh, that's uh, Stephen Amell. That's Green Arrow. Yeah, I mean, the guys had like no matches, you know. And that, I mean, Chris carried him to a great match. And the referee was top notch, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> My good buddy Jerry Lynn, it was great. But no, it was great. And then, then I watched Cody and Nick Aldis, and that was really good. I, I like the, it had like a real-time fight atmosphere to it. You know, coming out with your entourage and stuff, I thought that was pretty cool. That was really good. Uh, then I stopped watching for a bit. And then I turned on for the penis. <laughs> I think came it, back to the penis. I think the penis definitely got a lot of people's attention, whether it be yeah. negative or positive. But, you know, that Cody and Nick Aldis match, obviously that's where the hype was, and that's where the NWA was uh, hyping it with the videos and, you know, the story with Cody and, and Dusty Rhodes, obviously, with the NWA championship. But I think so the good. question would be is why wasn't that the main event? You know, I got, that's the one question I think that's on everybody's mind. I don't know. We'd have to ask them, I guess. It's pretty surprising. They had, they had time problems, didn't they? Where the main event had to go short? Yep. Maybe they do. Put it on early just in case. We don't get rushed at the end. I thought it was really good. It, it reminded me of like the old school uh, Madison Square Garden cars where you, yeah, you'd have Hulk Hogan the main event and he'd be on right before intermission. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, uh, you know, whether it was uh, a Harley race or even a Macho Man, if you saw the Hogan uh, mid main event, then uh, some people might have left because you would leave a, uh, a pretty damn good tag team match usually uh, on the table. <laughs> for... Yeah, that was some sort of really good main event. You know, but, uh, you know, I guess that's Hogan was doing double shots, I guess. 
Yeah, all those the stories of him and Orndorff getting on the planes going from uh, Long Island out to Chicago uh, in their gear. Can <laughs> you imagine seeing that as you're boarding a plane? <laughs> hey, look at who are those guys. <laughs> yeah, no, plus I think it was to sell tickets too because they were going right before the mission, you know, and, and Hogan would come back with, uh, they come back with the return match. So they, they'd announce they'd announce at intermission, um, just signed, you know, next month, you know, Hulk Hogan versus Randy Savage in the cage. And you can get your tickets now at the box office during intermission. <laughs> you know, the big hype and the, the pre-sale on the tickets. God, I miss that. I know. God, wrestling used to be so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you are right, though. I mean, they definitely uh, cut the main event short. And it was still a good match, but it, it was definitely cut short due to time constraints of, of some other things. So maybe if those penises didn't take so long getting out there, maybe the main event would have got some more time. <laughs> if the penises were quicker on the trigger. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I, think, I think it's great. If I was wrestling now, I would wrestle Joey Ryan. It's like a night off, right? I could make it work. We could hey, do, like, we could do like, like, a, like a fireball to his nuts. <laughs> Take out the you know, great balls of fire. Hey, you were known to be able to carry anybody. You could you could figure a way to, to carry him for sure. I don't know, that's a that's a pretty big it's a big package to carry. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be for it. <laughs> now what would you like we always say to Shane, tease him. You know, we we say, "Hey, what would you grade this, Dean Douglas?" And you know, he hates it, but you know, he he usually answers. He usually responds. What's your grade for all? And if you could be Dean Douglas for the night, A plus. Nice, right? Absolutely. For, for the hard for the work they put into it, the gamble they took, the way it paid off, the production, the matches, everything was laid out great. Like I said, something went long, so that the main event got cut short. But I give it an A plus. Something for everybody. Nice. Definitely some high praise from Mikey for uh, for All In. And I love that um, you had no problem being Dean Douglas. Uh, you gave less of a you know a problem grading than, than Shane usually does. <laughs> this, was, this was an easy one. Now, as far as a lot of people that were at All In... As far as the wrestling media, we had Francine on last week, and she made some comments about body shaming from Dave Meltzer and Bruce Mitchell and some other people in the wrestling media. I know you have some strong feelings about that topic as well. And the dirt sheets used to say, quote unquote, the worst physique in wrestling and and take little digs at you. What were your kind of feelings? Did it bother you at all? Did you kind of just ignore it? Or or was it something that really, you know, you you took and, and fueled your fire, if you will? Uh, it bothered me, but I didn't really didn't, you know, I, I didn't really didn't think about it too much. You know what I mean? Because back then I was just chubby, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so you know, like Lance Storm and Jerry Lynn, we think around. They called me chunky and things like that. Well, it, it, you know, it was funny. It was a dig. You know what I mean? But it was just, it was just the guys having fun. You know, and I'm friends with them too, so it's, I know it wasn't meant, meant maliciously. You know, but with with with. You read stuff like that, you're like, "Wow, that's really nice." It, it kind of stung a little bit, but I'm like, ah, no big deal. Nowadays, now that I'm really fucking fat, like, it, it, I don't, I don't like take pictures with people, and if I do, I hide most of my face. If I, 
take appearances. I like literally like freak myself out going to these appearances because I look like shit, a big fat sloth. <laughs> you know, so it's it's very, you know, especially then when they bring pictures. You look at a picture of yourself from like twenty five years ago. Like, oh look, one hundred and eighty pounds. Look, look how thin. Look how cute I was. Oh yeah, thanks. <laughs> and now I look at myself. And I'm like, oh God, what the fuck happened? But <laughs> you know, you kind of. It is what it is. I put myself in the boat, so it's not like I can blame anybody else. You know, I got hurt. Metabolism slows down. I like chicken parmesan. <laughs> I like chicken parmesan at two a.m. You know, not necessarily the best choices to make. You know, but that's how it is. So it, I mean, I definitely get it because I used to rag Francine all the time, stick girl, and like you know, crack whore and stuff like that. Um, you know, but she would eat. Like I, I, you know. It's not like she was eating, you know, like, you know, picking at things like crackers. You know what I mean? She would eat. You know, she just would not put weight on. I have the opposite problem. I would eat and I could put weight on. <laughs> hey, that's what happens when we, we get older and we start having kids and everything. I mean, it just naturally just happens. It does happen. You know, and just I don't get oversensitive about it. and I don't, I don't need like a coping cat, you know, my coping animal. But, <laughs> you know, it's uh. It does. I do work myself up about it. Where I get I get compared to King Kong Bundy. <laughs> Things like that. Uncle Fester, Butterbean. That was a good one. Butterbean, that was a good one. Which I actually did laugh at that one. <laughs> but you know. It's me. And that's just that's just what it is. I'm fat. Do you ever think it's weird that the wrestling media would comment on something like that, you know, outside of just covering moves and the matches and storyline and stuff. You ever think it's weird that they're covering like body types and stuff like that? Well, it's, it's you know, the, the business, it's, it's a, uh, you know, that's the type of business it is. It's a cosmetic business. You know, ECW, we got, we got away with a lot more guys wearing shirts and stuff like that, you know, but it's a cosmetic business. And you also got to figure back in the day with the culture, it was now, I mean, you know, it, it, not everything was so so PC back then. Obviously, <laughs> you know, you know, like things like Archie Bunker, the Jeffersons, the ECW. The, these things would never, you know. I know South Park is still in the air. If it is, I don't know how. <laughs> but uh, you know, that's just the way. That's just the way it is. You know, that that was the culture back then. You know, people were less sensitive. Although we were sensitive, we were less public about it. You know, now nowadays. People are more quick to point out that, hey, you're making me feel like shit. You know? So, maybe in a way, culture is, is coming around and we're, we're becoming better people. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know, but Mikey, I'll tell you this much. I mean, whether or not, you know, you might have those feelings about yourself. I mean, I know when it comes to the wrestling fans... And I'm not, I'm, hey, I'm a wrestling fan, and I've had uh, my own issues uh, over the years itself, but I wouldn't necessarily say wrestling fans can throw too many stones at anybody not looking, uh, you know, <laughs> to the best of their ability, if you know what I'm saying. Wrestling fans sometimes uh, may have the same uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, misconception about some of their appearances. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I know. Hey, we're out there. When we do well, we like the praise. But when we don't do well or we're not looking like they think we should look, well, we're going to hear about it too. So I just think it could be put a little bit nicer. Now, you're like saying, not, you know, not like Mikey got fat. Jeez. Mikey matured. 
<laughs> Physically, maybe not mentally. And you're saying you know, you gained all this weight and stuff like that, but you still pulled off not that long ago. I'm talking about a few months ago, an amazing Franken Mikey. That's just to kind of give it to the people, stick it to them a little bit. <laughs> and I can do anything once. I felt like shit the next day. I woke up the next day and said, Shane, I can't move. It's like, what do you mean? My, my hips are killing me and my, my back hurts. I said, Jesus. One Frankensteiner, and that's the end. It's probably because you did it in those like combat boots. <laughs> I, I haven't done it in years. In, 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 in work boots and jeans. Suck on that, bastards. <laughs> hey, that's like when they you know, would say, like, oh, this guy's out of shape, but he could still move, you know, like he's in great shape, and he still got it. He just may just gain a little bit of pounds. That's all. Yeah, that, you know, I need that. So when, you know, the world goes to shit and the famine comes, I have reserves. <laughs> I live longer than you skinny fuckers. <laughs> now, but, when you were in ECW... There was the the triple threat, obviously, Shane uh, as the leader. Francine, obviously, was in this well. And I don't know if you saw this or not. And I know Shane commented on it and Francine commented on it. But the WWE, a couple weeks ago, had their own version of the triple threat on SmackDown. It was three jobbers. Um, They made a a point. They even gave them their little graphics of the triple threat. They got jobbed out in in only a few minutes by the uh, Bludgeon Brothers. So they lost two on three. and They got destroyed. What do you think about that? Is it a, is it a knock on Shane? Is it a knock on ECW? Is, is it just somebody just wanted to play a little joke? What's up with them mocking the triple threat? I have no idea. It's so, so random and out of nowhere. You know what I mean? It's not like, it's not like Shane's been on TV and, and the triple threat's been you know, in the forefront of news recently. So I don't know where where it came from or somebody thought it would be funnier or I don't know. To me, it's like, well, that's really pointless. If if it's going to make you happy taking a dig about, you know, some guys are no longer here. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. Some of the stuff they do, I just kind of like, okay, well, whatever. If it makes them feel good about themselves, that was the intent. So be it. The true fans of the triple chat, triple, triple threat, Shane Douglas, they know the real deal. So, really, in, in the long run, in the long grand scheme of things, it's irrelevant. Now, obviously, you were there for the triple threat, and there was a lot of different incarnations of it. My favorite was Bammer and Candido, obviously, with Shane and Francine. Do you have a favorite triple threat that you could think of that you were, uh, you know, kind of like more than some of the others? I like both of them. But I kind of lean towards the uh, Bammer and Candido. And I think just because I was, at that point, I had been around more. And I, was, I was more familiar with the business. And when I actually got to, to work with those guys, I could actually appreciate a little bit and have a lot of fun. Um, whereas when I was working with uh, Benoit Malenko, it was kind of, I was still green as shit. Like, and I wouldn't say boo. <laughs> you know, it was just one of those, well. Okay, yes, sir. No, sir. But with uh, Chris and Bamro, you know, I had a little more fun with it. Plus, I think when ECW really hit, I think Shane, Chris, and Bamro were the ones that were there with Franny. 
So that's 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 the one I kind of lean towards. Absolutely love that version of the triple threat. Now, what do you think about in ring you and Shane? You guys used to have some great matches, great chemistry. But what is it with Shane and, and you and, and the chemistry you guys had? Do you think that it's it's you know two guys that that are so good? Do you think that there's something else in the works as far as two guys having a good match with good chemistry? Because not always do two good workers have, have good matches. No, I've had some clunkers. <laughs> really good I, mean, I, had, I had a match with Steve Regal that was just absolutely brutal. You know what I mean? And he's and he's phenomenal. You know, so it's just you know sometimes it just doesn't click or you know wrong place, wrong time. But uh, with Shane, it was one of those uh, I felt comfortable. You know, and he let me contribute a little bit to the match, and just him being so good. You know, professional. It just he it just made it really easy, and I was just really comfortable in there with him. You know, even when I would actually call stuff, you know, on the fly, which I would never do before that. You know, I was like, oh, this is what we're doing. You say this is it. This is it. You know, but but Shane was great. Just let me let me contribute a little bit, and I trusted him a hundred percent. So he just made it really easy, really fun. Would you guys ever choreograph? a match beforehand or is everything called out there in the ring? Everything's in the ring. We call it maybe heat spot and the finish, but everything else was just, you know, whatever, just go with the flow. Whatever happens, happens. You know, it's, it's, it's called, you know, anybody can wrestle, you know, but very few people can work nowadays. And that's just going out there, filling the audience and feeling com- confident enough to, to do your thing. Why do you think that is that, that nowadays it's kind of shifted where it's basically choreographed and, you know, they don't call it in the ring virtually at all anymore. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And, and to a point I get it, you know, but I also have to think you have to have some leeway somewhere if what you're doing isn't working. You know, if you have everything A to Z and you, that's, this is what we're doing, you know, if, what you, people aren't buying what you're doing and you're, you're kind of not feeling it, you kind of can't change direction. So it just, it, it, it basically, it, it, put, it paints you into a corner. Well, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. Whether people buy it or not. So it takes some of the fun out of it, I think, because even towards the end when I was working with some of these guys and they would call 8 million things, I would try to keep up, you know, with all the concussions I had. I can't remember all this shit. And <laughs> for me, it's, just, it's like, this isn't fun. Like, this is just, just doing acrobatics, just kind of going through the motions, just doing my thing. You know, it's like, hey, you know what? You can start with this. Let's do this for like a heat. You know, maybe this here for like a hope spot. And here's our finish. And everything else, let's just call it out there. That's the way I like to do it. But, you know, but these kids today, I mean, the stuff they're doing, I mean, maybe some of it, it's so crazy that you kind of have to. The sequences they're putting together are kind of intense. You know, too. You know, you're doing these. You know, you're not doing one move, two moves, and a sequence. I mean, these guys are bouncing around, ducking, all kinds of crazy shit. So, something that you have to you have to memorize. I just think you should leave yourself that little bit of wiggle room, just in case. And I always think that it doesn't look not not all the wrestlers today, but and a lot of the wrestling today doesn't look like a real quote unquote fight. It looks like it's it, it's staged to the point where it's like kick block. Lot, you know what I mean? It just—it's too fake, almost. Do you get that sense when you watch some of it? 
sometimes it's almost like a uh, like an old school kung fu movie. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's just, it's just too pretty, you know, just too pretty and too smooth. But hey, come for me, I was not pretty and I was not smooth. So this style nowadays would not be would not be good for me, you know. But yeah, it, it's the way it is. You know what I mean? And, and the business seems to be doing all right. You know, like I said, they're doing that, and you come out with giant penises. People are buying it. So, who am I to say they're not doing something right? But let's just say you versus Steve Austin, and I know you guys were talking back and forth a little bit on Twitter about some of the matches. But that looked like a real fight. I mean, it looked like maybe he really was, was. Uh, potatoing you, but he it looked real. The shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he called the finish. That was it. That was absolutely all he called was the finish. And we'll make the rest up. And for me, that was kind of like. I was like panic mode because I had gone from working with Sandman for so long who called everything A to C. So going from that to knowing, okay, Sunset hooked the tights. That's, you know, that, that's the finish. Thinking like, holy shit, what the fuck am I going to do? <laughs> but, but he was great. I mean, you know, talking to me, putting me at ease. I love working with Steve. That was fucking phenomenal. Stole my finish, but that's okay. <laughs> He stole the whippersnapper. Can you believe that? <laughs> did he or did he? I don't know. So we should get on his podcast. We should discuss. Yes. Discuss I know we've talked about adult beverages. And I know we've talked about this with you before. Was it your move that you originated or was it Jimmy Garvin? I mean, where did that move come from? Jimmy Garvin. I saw he came out on a WCW pay-per-view randomly. And I remember... Michael Hayes being in a wheelchair for whatever reason. And he came back against Johnny B. Bad. He had his head shaved because I guess he was a pilot. And that was the movie hit. He called it the 911. I go, ooh, that's pretty cool. So let me work on that a little bit. And then, uh, yeah, I kind of started doing it. And Steve started doing it. I guess he got it from Michael Hayes. But, yeah, that's where it came from. That's where I got it. Jimmy Garvin. Gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. Now, did Steve Austin ever say to you, you know, that, I, hey, I'm going to start doing this move or, you know, I took it from Hayes? I mean, was there ever any communication with you? Like, hey, you know, you, you took my move or he's like, no, I got it from somebody else. I mean, did you guys ever kind of discuss that or is that one of those things with wrestlers you just don't talk about? Uh, well, it's Steve Austin, so he could do pretty much whatever he wanted. And this is even, this is even before I was a huge fan of Steve anyway. You know what I mean? So even if he did get it from me or he got it from Michael Hayes, whoever he got it from, who am I to say anything? You know what I mean? Plus, he made a lot of money with it. He did okay. <laughs> that is true. And I saw uh, when he used to do it from the top in, in the middle rope. Yeah. So you you kind of took it to, quote unquote, you took it to the extreme as far as that finisher. Yeah, that, that seemed like a good idea at the time. God, that fucking hurt. <laughs> Couldn't just do it from the mat like everybody else. I had to escalate it. <laughs> but then when I figured I doing it from the from the ropes, it, it became a little too much. I said, "Well, let me try different ways to get into this." So I put like a spinning variation on it and like a float over from a from a suplex, things like that, just to change it up a little bit because I couldn't keep doing it from the ropes. My back was already jacked up, and then doing that, yeah, not a good combination. Yeah, I can't see that move being, especially off the top, being particularly nice on the spine area. 
oh, it sucked. And then if the guy came down heavy, on your, you know, it was like a double whammy. Like you, you, you're hitting the mat, and then the guy's leaning on your shoulder. It's like, oh. <laughs> so yeah, you got to change it up a little bit, and I, I would do it occasionally. You always innovated moves and stuff, and always came up with stuff. Where do you get some of that? Literally, just creativity out of the top of your head, or where? Where do you get like some of those ideas for some of those moves? I dream them. Love it. Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd wake up and go, oh, I got an idea, and I would just I would just kind of just jot it down, and I go back. Well, I didn't sleep anyway. You know, still even to this day, I'm like three hours sleep a night. You know, but when I would sleep, I would get an idea. I'd wake up and I kind of write it down, and you know, I have like a list of things. You know, sometimes pages and pages long of just different stuff I'd think of. Some of them, you know, near impossible. In the dream, it looks good. But, but in actuality, <laughs> that wasn't actually going to work. But, uh, yeah, a lot of them, I, just, I would just dream them up. Different that's spot. Pretty, yeah, that's pretty amazing to kind of dream that up and think that up. So, what, like, what do you, like, are you literally from A to Z? Like, all right, if he does this, I'm going to do this. Like, how do you kind of map that out? Uh, I kind of would just, hey, I... You know, if I, if I hook you like this and this move here, if I say this, um, you know, this is what it means. Or, you know, something I would kind of show them in the back. Like, some, like okay, here, like if I do this, you kind of just do this. And, uh, you know, the stuff I did wasn't really complicated, you know. So it's just kind of like, okay, well, just kind of, they, they can go with the flow. So it kind of get, kind of like a move set. Like the guys kind of get to know your stuff. They can say, okay, well, I know what you do. I, I see you every night. It was like Sabu. Sabu does all kinds of weird shit, too. You know what I mean? But if you watch his matches every night, you kind of know what he does. He says, hey, I'm going to do this weird fucking thing. I said, okay. I saw you do it last night. <laughs> so, that's why I always just watch every match. Kind of made it easy. Kind of learn all the guys and kind of the stuff they were doing. That's great. And that's really smart, too, because you're a little unconventional, so to speak. And he's a little unconventional. And Sandman, my God, it is completely unconventional. So you got all these unconventional guys. You got to kind of watch and learn from them a little bit before you get in the ring. Yeah, I mean, you learn from you kind of learn what they're doing, what they're doing that works, what they're doing that doesn't work. You can adjust your stuff. You know, you kind of learn their move set, the different spots they're doing. So when, when you're trying to put your match together, you're already familiar. So it's not like completely going in blind. Could, could you imagine wrestling Sabu blind, having no idea, not literally, wrestling, <laughs> wrestling, not that never having seen him before, is trying to explain this shit? You're like, you're gonna what? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. yeah, you're gonna kick a chair in my face and then jump on the chair. What? Like, what the fuck? Jump and turn around and then moves. Okay, whatever. <laughs> but, yeah, good. I love working Sabu. He was great. Seems like he'd be. I wouldn't say difficult to work with, but just because he does all that crazy stuff, it it would oh, seem so almost easy. hard to keep up with. Oh, he's so easy. So easy. I said, if you know his stuff and you, you watch him, you know, I mean, and even now he talks to you the whole time, you know. So it just, he just made, he was another one, made it very easy. When you think on the surface, oh, this is going to be a giant clusterfuck. This is going to suck. This is gonna, I'm going to be completely lost. You got to do the whole thing. It was amazing. He he is so underrated when it comes to oh he just breaks tables. No, he is so fucking underrated. Because he's very good at psychology. You wouldn't know it. But he's very good at psychology. Sometimes he'd fuck up on purpose just to get a you fucked up chance because he knew they'd chance. You know, it's just he's so underrated. He helped me out a ton. So 
going on record saying he does not get the credit he deserves. Yeah, there was one point in time, and, you know, 93, 94, 95, he was kind of not really getting his due. And, you know, a lot of people were saying he was possibly the best worker in the business. You know, move over Bret Hart a little bit there. But, you know, they're basically saying that he was one of the better workers. He's so creative. He could do, do all this other stuff. You know, he's high flying, but with psychology. So he definitely was a point in time. And, and I think even now today, he's quite honestly for the fact that you know he's not a, like a millionaire obviously or anything but maybe he should have been given the yeah. you know the creativity and everything he put into his matches yeah kind of like we talk about now with the all-in stuff and the kind of style they're doing now well back you know 93 94 95 the, the, the style he was doing was very unconventional and a lot of the guys that were already seasoned and, and you know established they didn't like it you know so there's some guys that did, that did like Terry Funk took, took to it like water, like a duck to water. You know, he, he took it, he took it with no problem. But some of the seasoned guys that were already, you know, on top in the business, they didn't get it and they didn't like it. But Definitely that's, a that's unique where the business stuff. went. <laughs> yep. You know, he knew where it was going. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, I guess his body got a little too beat up. He was a little bit ahead of his time, I guess. Could you imagine, can you imagine Sabu in his prime now? The stuff he would do. Oh my god! He, oh my god! Forget about the number one guy in the Indies. <laughs> just, just, just thinking about it, you know, because even the stuff he does now, people don't do it now. That weird, wacky shit that he does, people aren't doing it. You know, no, nope. He'd probably be one of the number one guys in the Indies scene right now. That's what I think. I would think so too. Sabu, yeah. Definitely an underrated legend, and uh, he's out there. Actually, he was out there in Australia with Shane as well. So, I mean, just, oh, think really? about that, just think about that group for a second. You got your boy, Ty Jiri, Tajiri. You right. got Masato Tanaka. You got Shane. You got Sabu. You got RVD. And then throw in Dominic Danucci. <laughs> Extreme. <laughs> that, I don't know where Dominic, Dominic fits in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that just sounds like a good time all around. Yeah, it's a pretty big deal, you know, that they would get that many guys on one show. But obviously, in Australia, you know, they're probably, you know, frothing at the mouth to get any kind of American talent over there, especially those ECW guys. But Shane, it was funny, you know. It's a good thing they said to knock it into Jerry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, exactly, exactly. But, you know, it's funny with Shane, like, I don't think he really knew what he was going to be doing right away and and we kind of knew they were going to be touring and doing q and a's and they were doing all these sightseeing you know excursions all this stuff so we see the first match that gets announced you know for shane in australia it's shane versus masato tanaka so you sit on the plane for all those hours you go over there and the first match you have is masato tanaka we just kind of chuckled at that welcome to australia bam <laughs> he was excited to see him though but i just, we thought that was just that was kind of uh that was kind of funny but just to go back to sabu for a second you know you talk about not just the move set but his look in itself still could be put right into 2018 with the pants and can you picture the people in the crowd if they're wearing bullet club we were just in atlantic city and the bullet club were doing was doing a signing in atlantic city and they were kids dressed like the, the Young Bucks. Can you imagine the Sabu pants and the kids with the tape and all that stuff if Sabu was put right here in the 2018? It would fit right in. You could say you could say Mikey could too with the with the way you had your look. I guess so. I'd have to be thin though. I couldn't be fat. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> stop. <laughs> now, I want to just talk briefly here about uh, the year in, of 1996, and we got to bring it back to the franchise, because there's two things I want to kind of throw at you about 1996, and first would be Shane's return to ECW in uh, the end of 95, but then starting to wrestle in the beginning part of 96, and we talked about it. I'd say about a month or so ago with Shane about Brian Pillman and when Brian Pillman came in and what could have been and what was supposed to be their program. But can yeah. you kind of give us the idea of what it was like when Shane came back from the WWF and what the vibe was in the locker room when he uh, he was he was still kind of, you know, parodying the Dean when he got back to ECW, but would ultimately, you know, evolve into the uh, the second, you know, phase of the franchise character. Yeah. I personally was thrilled that he was back. I never, I never wanted him to leave in the first place, you know, because I was like, wow, because Shane was like the guy, you know. So I was like, oh great, Shane's leaving. This kind of sucks, you know. And then he came back. It was just fucking great because WWE shit the bed on him, <laughs> you know, basically. But yeah, I think the vibe was generally pretty good. I mean, I'm sure there were some people like, oh, he goes there, he flops, and comes back, gets a big push, but. You know, uh, it's one of those things where, like, hey, our fans are smart enough. They kind of they kind of get it, you know. Plus, he keeps coming back as a heel, kind of baby face, tweener type weird thing. Did he come back with cactus or something? I... It, it was weird. He kind of comes back out of the blue. I just watched this as we were preparing for the Pillman show, so it's very fresh. But he comes back randomly um, just during one of the, you know, the, the montages and he kind of does like a parody of the Dean and he's, and he, I think he was actually ripping on uh, Stevie Richards and Blue Meanie, but then he got thrust into teaming with Dreamer against you and Cactus. And that's kind of where I wanted to go next to it. But it was weird. He just, he didn't have an established role. And then as being a tweener and making a deal with Dreamer to be on his side, all of a sudden the Pillman stuff happened and he was playing the baby face in that spot. So it was weird. It was almost like they weren't sure where they were going to slide him because I guess coming back from WWF, you were obviously going to be a bad guy. You would think it was very, it was very bizarre. Very, very bizarre. That, ta that tag match we had, I remember Dreamer hit me with a Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was the first time ever. I mean, he's an old school Super Nintendo. He busted me open over the head with it. It's a hard way too. Now you're now you're playing with power. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was was that the same time that Shane had that singles match with Cactus? Yes, it was in that same time frame, but it would also lead to when Cactus was departing, and that was a part of you know what was cool about ECW is they were telling you that like, look, Shane's back from the WWF, but now Cactus is going there, and this is the end of Cactus. Like we know he's leaving, but all the swerves and everything that would happen uh, on his way out. It was, uh, it was just a crazy time to be a fan, but yeah, kind of give us your memories of that, uh, you know, that whole, uh, that little program you guys had there. I remember being the worst chair shot of all time. And by, by worst chair shot, I mean, I still to this day feel terrible about this chair shot. They had a spot where Shane had cactus in the figure four. And I come running out. And I have to feign like I'm going to hit Shane. I turn around and I nail Cactus. And I remember in the back they're saying, like, you can't hit me. You, you got you to gotta really lay it in. You can't make this look, look like shit. You know, this has to be, you know, 
it's going to be a, a really good chair shot. I was okay, okay. And I'm thinking, I got to somehow fake hitting Shane and then change direction mid-swing and hit Cactus. How the fuck am I going to do this? Well, not good. <laughs> I fucking killed him with that chair. And I remember I swung and the pop, the chair hitting his head. And I remember going, oh, my God. He made like a uh, noise. And I went on, and I remember looking at his face and going, bang, bang, and going, I'm so sorry. But he, <laughs> he never bitched about it, ever. Never said a word. That's because he's hardcore. <laughs> uh, and I just, people, every now and then it'll pop up on Twitter. And I, just, I honestly, this is no bullshit. I get sick to my stomach thinking about it. Because I know, I know the problems I'm having with concussions now. And the way my brain works and doesn't work. And just looking at that chair shot I gave him, thinking, you know what? Something I did, may in some way, shape, or form be affecting him now. Uh, I feel fucking terrible. So we said, oh, nice chair shot. Oh, it sucked. It's fucking worst chair shot ever. It's pretty vicious. Uh, not going to lie. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty vicious. But we didn't think about that then, though. We just thought we heard the thud. We thought it was a, you know, it was an impact move. You know, we thought it was a big spot. Terrible, stupid, a green kid, just fucking terrible. Mick, if you're listening, I, I, I am so sorry. And that sounds like a little wishy-washy little baby about it, but looking at it today, how unnecessary. And I'm sure Mick is listening, of course, with his uh, ties to with the franchise. So I hope he is. Uh, <laughs> hope he is listening. But we talked about it with you in the past when we've had you on Two Man Power Trip, and you know, obviously, all the stuff you and Mick did was just absolutely out of this world. I mean, still, you can go back. It's funny, you know, the the timing you guys had together, and the 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 one promo about the Doritos in the car, and you had to eat the Doritos. I mean, it's true. It's, true story. It's the best. I mean, it's still it holds up. It's very funny. Yeah, he was great. I mean, traveling with him was awesome. You know, him, him throwing my, my my Black Sabbath tape out the window. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Such a great guy. Oh, that's uh, no, it's fantastic. Again, if anybody doesn't see any of this stuff, whether you check it out on the WWE Network or you check it out on YouTube, just it's still it's it's fantastic. But there's one other thing in '96 that I want to bring up that ties into the Triple Threat. And it's not only Shane's return, but then it was Chris Candido's return. And obviously he would join the triple threat as it was. But you guys, at November to November 96, you know, a hell of a match. And Candido just coming in off of, again, another failed WWF run by a guy coming to ECW. You know, what do you remember about that night and Candido coming in and the expectations you guys had for that match? I remember he called a lot. He had a, he, he had a lot of... Uh... He called a lot of stuff, uh, like spots. He didn't call like all the heat and stuff like that. But again, I wasn't used to it. So he coming to call all these spots. I'm going, ah, I just couldn't, couldn't wrap my head around it. You know, it turned out okay in the end. I mean, we kind of we got through it. You know, I kind of pulled it together, sucked it up, and did it. But I, I remember getting knocked goofy on that power bomb off the top. It's a it's a visual spectacle. I remember seeing that for the first time. That was like as unbelievable. It's like poetry emotion seeing you guys out there. But yeah, if it knocked you, uh, if you, if it knocked <laughs> you loopy, it looked it. Didn't feel like poetry. <laughs> you know, 
But yeah, no, he was, and that was number two. That was the first time I, we, we wrestled each other. You know, I think it was one of those, if we got to, <clears throat> if we got to, you know, wrestle a little bit before that and kind of feel each other out a little, I think uh, that match would have been a whole lot better. Because we had better matches after that. Once, once I was comfortable. Yeah, you you guys have worked together a lot afterwards. And did Paul see that that you guys had a great chemistry out there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he kind of said that with he kind of said that with everybody, you know. But I, I really enjoyed <laughs> team with Chris. You know, we we got team a couple times, you know, and we uh, had other matches too. So it was it became a lot of fun, especially after I got to know Chris and how goofy he was. We get along great. You know, it's funny that both of those guys coming from failed gimmicks in the WWF, and you talked about when we had you on with Shane uh, earlier this year, you mentioned how Shane talked you out of going to WCW in 96. Now, obviously, you know, we've seen you were a WWF fan. You've shared those pictures on Twitter of some uh, screenshots of uh, of a young Mikey uh, popping up. Front row, baby! <laughs> you have a young Mikey <laughs> popping up. So you were obviously, being from Long Island, a WWF guy, now, seeing two guys like Shane and Candido coming in, if you were to go there, were you afraid of being straddled with some kind of bad gimmick, or was that kind of par for the course if you were going to the WWF that you might get some kind of, uh, you know, goofy uh, thing, but you get in your first, you know, big-time exposure? It was kind of, uh, you know, it was kind of the risky take, I guess. I didn't care. I was going to go to WCW, not WWF. But I... Hey, I just I just wanted to wrestle and have fun. You know, if I can get paid, you know, if someone wanted to, wanted to pay me more money, that that's even better. It was like a bonus. But <laughs> Shane said, uh, "No, don't go now." Uh, I he, you know, the timing is not right, kid. You know, so we did. I so saw we did three years and three years, two and a half. And what's great, it was great is that when you were with us in May in Richmond, we got to uh, all have a beer with uh, Eric Bischoff, and you said that was the first time you had seen Bischoff in forever. It was just kind of funny, you know, the interactions that we were having with Bischoff that night, and he was telling some of the stories, and, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty cool to see. So when you did make it to WCW, Eric Bischoff was, uh, was part of that, uh, that decision-making process, and there you guys were 20-something years later, you know, getting to talk about it over a beer. Yeah, it was, it was one of those. That was the most conversation I've had with Eric ever. I think when I was in WCW, I said, hello, how are you? Good match. <laughs> and that was it. Like, I don't, I, I don't think I said more than, you know, 10 words to the guy. You know, but, you know, he, he's a great guy, too. You know, in, hearing his, his podcast with, with uh, Conrad and just hearing all his, his version of the stories. You know that you've heard for so many years that people put the spin on. It certainly gives it a new, uh, a new spin on things when you hear his take on how things work. So it's kind of like, hmm, interesting. Not always what it seems like it is. Definitely a new wrinkle, if you will, on what people thought of WCW. But it's good to get some real behind the scenes of somebody who's actually there, and not somebody writing about it, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Eric was great. We had a couple beers, talked, stirred shit online a little bit. So it was, it was good. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> I did love that. You worked the marks a little bit. I, 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 I like that. That was funny. Oh, he zigged me good. I should, <laughs> I should ask Eric why I, you know, I never got a push to WCW. 
he said go in, go in the bathroom and look in the mirror. <laughs> that was great. Now, usually at this point in the show, we're winding it down. We usually end it with a little ask franchise anything. We call it AFA, but we're going to have to change it up for today. And a little AMA, a little ask Mikey anything. And I got to just keep it chain related and just ask you, you know, just from John from Asbury Park, New Jersey. What's your favorite match that you had with Shane? Is does any one or two stick out above uh, all the rest? Uh, the first one we had. I don't remember where it was, when it was. I just remember I won the Battle Royals to open the show to get the title shot. And then got to wrestle Shane in the main event. And I was petrified. I was scared to death. Because he wouldn't talk to me all night. We, we were talking about anything. You know, he was, I'd see him. Hey, Mike, you okay? Yep. Okay, good. And like, uh, almost like he was blowing me off, you know? And maybe like 10 minutes, 10 minutes before the match, he comes over. Like, okay, well, you know, uh, you know, in the belly. Okay. And that was all he called. I said, oh, fuck. <laughs> Petrified. What the hell am I going to do? I, go, I guess I guess I, I talked to Cactus about it. He's like, well, come up with a comeback. Things you can do during your comeback. And then he'll work it to the finish. I said, okay. So I was just thinking, like hours what am i gonna do on my comeback you know what two moves am i gonna do you know but out there with him he made it so easy put me so at ease you know tied up with me goes relax kid we got this and you know he took me to school and it was just it was just fucking great According to my notes, that is December 3rd, 94, ECW World Title Match, Norristown, PA, in which Shane wins the match. Well, that's usually how it ended, yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't remember where it was, but I just remember it was uh, petrified. December, December, huh? 94. Yeah, and yes. I'll tell you what, John and his uh, copious research uh, that he does for this show went and dug out every match that you had with Shane. So, I mean, I- I'll throw a random one out here uh, if you want. How about uh, June 29th, 1996 in Middletown, New York at the fairgrounds? Uh, Shane wins that match as well. <laughs> I wrestled Shane. I wrestled Shane there. Yes, you did, according to the notes. Notes don't lie. Remember, I remember wrestling Tubo Scorpio there one year. That that was a that was a great venue. I gotta say, to watch it on TV, that was a great venue. Yeah, I don't remember that match with Shane. Well, we know the ending. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's all that matters. I'm gonna throw one more out at you, just because I love the name of this town. But 101896 ECW TV title match. In Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Shane also wins that match. <laughs> Plymouth Meeting. Where, Plymouth Meeting. Where, where was that? I don't know. I remember the dog track up there in Revere. Plymouth Meeting. I don't remember Plymouth Meeting. It's weird. Hey, look. It's one of those uh, venues lost to time. Uh, but again, you know, we've got this great history of Mikey versus Shane. So if there's any uh, compilation experts out there that would love to uh, put these matches together, if they're on any kind of ECW fan cam video, 
we would love to uh, see that. Please send that along to uh, the Triple Threat podcast. Uh, that'd be a hell of a time capsule, to say the least. But we're getting to the end here, Mikey, and uh, we appreciate you coming on. And uh, hopefully, at some point in the next, uh, you know, rest of 2018, Shane comes back from Australia and we get to uh, <laughs> continue on with his Triple Threat podcast. But before we get into the big uh, finish here, why don't you share some of the plugs that you have? If you got more information about the Underdogs Wrestling School, as well as your social media. Why don't you throw it out there now before we uh, get into the wrap-up? Uh, well, you know, you hit me up on Twitter. I'm not verified. We've talked about this with Shane before. Uh, it's Mikey Whipwreck and an underscore at the end. And why it's at the end, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, It is me. People ask me all the time, is it really you? When I say yes, then they want me to prove it. I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? A selfie? But... Uh, I got that. Uh, the Pro Wrestling School Underdogs. It's on Twitter. You can find it there. Uh, phone number. Uh, PPW Wrestling. Their fifth anniversary show is this weekend, the fifteenth, up in Hazleton, PA. They got Gary Lynn as a special guest referee, I believe. Uh, Bubba Ray Dudley's in. Colt Cabana's in. I believe Hernandez from, from Impact is in. So that's uh, that's what's going on for me. I have really nothing else going on. I'm getting over a cold, so my throat is. You know, I'm trying to I'm trying to soothe my throat with Coors Light, <laughs> copious amounts. <laughs> hey, nothing helps a uh, a sore throat like talking for an hour and uh, eight minutes about uh, you know the, uh, the 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 training, the Shane, the 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 ECW days, all that good stuff. But we also want to throw out there, come on, Mikey, ProWrestlingTees.com. We got the franchise Shane Douglas store. We got the Triple Threat Podcast store. We know you're on there, so check out uh, Mikey Whipwreck's uh, t-shirts on ProWrestlingTees.com as well. I'm on there. I, do, I sell uh, 8x10s on Twitter. You can DM me if you are interested. Um, I sell autographed action figures. The great action figures from Toy Figures. The great job they did. My good buddy Christy always hooks me up. And, uh, yeah. My voice is fading rapidly. Yes. My wife, my wife said, how are you going to get through this? I go, I don't fucking know. <laughs> well, you made it through. And, yeah, we want to just, again, I'll mention out there that WrestlingSuperstore.com and FiguresToyCompany.com Head on over there, check out the Legends of Professional Wrestling action figure line, as well as the Rising Stars of Professional Wrestling action figure line. Get your hands on some of these uh, action figures now, because uh, they won't last forever. They will be retired once they are gone, and we've seen it happen before. It could happen again, and then you got the names that the Legends of Professional Wrestling line does, like Mikey, or the franchise, or James E. Cornette, or the Blue Meanie, and even Jerry Lynn, New Jack. There's so many great stars in this line. you got to check them out for yourself, and you can do that over at WrestlingSuperstore.com and FiguresToyCompany.com. And if you want to stay in contact with the Triple Threat Podcast, you can follow us at The3ThreatPod as well as at Two Man Power Trip and at WrestlingPal. And for every episode, download, as well as YouTube clips, you can check out TMPTOfWrestling.com for more information. And whenever Shane gets back to the United States, we will be seeing him on September 29th in Feasterville, Pennsylvania, as part of the Icons of Wrestling Convention, as uh, also a part of the Battleground Championship Wrestling event, where Shane and Francine will be reuniting in Pennsylvania for some photo ops and, uh, and, and a pretty damn good time. So you want to check that out, head on over to Facebook, and you can look up Icons of Wrestling, or go to our page of the two-man power trip of wrestling on there. And uh, again, Mikey, we want to thank you very much for coming on. And what we do is, is we hand it over to Shane to end it. He usually tells us that he'll franchise somebody's ass, but 
I'm going to let you take the show out. You end it however the hell you want. You can say goodbye. You can throw out a little uh, little zinger, a little catchphrase, whatever you want, Mikey. The floor is yours. Let's see. Nope. I got nothing. Let's end this fucker. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.